Hi there, friends. It's been a little bit since I've done one of these just sort of raw expressions. I'm currently cozied up in an Airstream out on some property with some trees and some birds and the windows are open. So you may hear some nature sounds. Um, and I'm not sure. Maybe uh, I heard some lawn equipment earlier. So we'll see what we get. Um, raw expressions, right? I took myself on a little staycation. I'm not far from home, but I just needed to get away. I wanted to feel encapsulated, um, and I wouldn't have used that word before, but I'm looking around at the shape of this Airstream, and, you know, it's like a capsule shape. And that's really, I mean, it's fitting because I wanted to feel contained. And also to get an idea of what RV life might be like, um, which it's different. I think that I, I could do it. I think that I'm already realizing just how important the layout is to me. Um, and I really like the idea of having the over cab bed versus a bed that's in the space because it just, you get so much more space out of it. But anyway, not really why I wanted to come on here, not what I was intending to talk about. I wanted to share something that has been on my mind lately, and that is there are two things they kind of go hand in hand. And so it's the statement, it could be worse. And the, well, I don't even know, uh, the situation of neglect. So it could be worse. It could be worse is where I want to start. Um, this came up in a conversation and it just really set me off. And so I've been thinking about it. What What is that? It could be worse. It's a coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism. We all have coping mechanisms. And it's one that maybe we wouldn't identify as a coping mechanism. And I don't know. I think there are a lot of things in our lives that we would not identify as coping mechanisms because we we develop these things and they become habitualized and normalized. And so they're just the things that we do, but they are coping mechanisms and that's okay. We all have them. Some are more um, useful than others, some more detrimental, some seem benign, but they all have an effect. And the effect is that a coping mechanism and Okay, one more caveat, not a psychologist, not a, an expert in this field, just sharing how I understand things and these understandings that are helping me to excavate the cluttered terrain of my life, of my internal psychic life and like the how that is reflected on the outside. So me sharing experience, not an expert, just thought a lot about it, read a lot about it, and applying it to my own experience. 
Okay, so coping mechanism. We all have them and they are ways of dealing with things to feel better or to have some sense of, to create some sense of safety that isn't actually necessarily dealing with the situation at hand is how I would describe it. It's, it might be dealing with a situation, I suppose, but not like the core feeling that is coming up. So a coping mechanism, they can be really, they can have good effects, they can have ill effects, or they may seem neutral. So what I'm thinking about there is a coping mechanism that may seem to have a really good effect would be someone like think about that person who's ultra organized so organized they have everything scheduled and it's they're meticulous in their space and their time sometimes that's a coping mechanism that comes from not feeling safe and feeling the need to control and order an environment to the extreme and it can be a way of creating safety when there isn't safety inside for some reason and that what is causing the lack of safety may not actually be a lack of control of outer environment or time schedule that's just the way of finding it a coping mechanism for me is eating. It feels good. It gives me something to do. It's it it's nice. I mean like who do, is there anyone that doesn't love food? <laughs> I guess it's hard for me to understand that there may be a person out there who doesn't like to take pleasure in the crunch of a potato chip or the creamy sweetness of melting ice cream in their mouth or that delicious umami saltiness complexity that comes from a pasta sauce that's got anchovies simmered into it. Um, So that can be a coping mechanism, eating. Eating is also something that we just need to do, similar to how organizing our lives is just something that we need to do. Other coping mechanisms that are obviously more detrimental would be like addiction. Um, Although in our culture, it seems that drinking is almost as essential as breathing. And that's something that gets under my skin because I think that it is a, a dangerous thing that we have normalized and not that drinking in itself is terrible I guess though more and more I'm seeing that for me and noticing the way it affects me I I don't really find much benefit in it and that's just me personally no judgment to anybody who does um but it it's so normal to be stressed out and go to a drink and that being stressed out and going to a drink, that motivation of, of a stress behind it, that there's something else stressing you out. The drink isn't stressing you out. The, when we go to a drink for stress, it's not the drink that's stressing us out. 
Although I guess if we're addicted, maybe it's the lack of the drink that is stressing us out. But there's, it started somewhere else. There's some other feeling or problem that we're turning to a drink to cope with. Same with any kind of drug um, or a cigarette, smoking, pot, tobacco, whatever. Um, and work can even be a coping mechanism because we can use work, something that's ultra important in our society, that's glorified. We can use that as an excuse to turn away from a feeling that we don't want to face or a situation that we don't want to face. And then work becomes a coping mechanism, but it's, it's glorified because, you know, you're, you're work hard and you're productive and that's amazing. Same with like being organized. That's an amazing thing, right? Or, um, being funny is a coping mechanism that is used to avoid the feelings of pain. So anyway, there's all kinds of coping mechanisms and, They're not, they're just, they're like things that we do. And this thing, this, oh, it could be worse. I have been using it in my life in in ways that were just so like insidious to me. Like once I, once I saw it, once this came up in conversation and really triggered me and I looked at it in my own life, I was like, oh, I've got to stop that. (laughs) This is, it's not the way that it's used. Oh, it could be worse. Minimizes what is actually there. What is actually present in the situation with the, the importance of what's actually happening or the feeling that's occurring, um, by saying, well, it could be worse. It could be something else, you know, so this isn't so bad and I'll just deal with it or I'll just settle for it or I won't, I will choose not to take an action that could make something different because it would be more uncomfortable. It's a way of coping with a situation that we don't feel we can change, that we don't want to change or that would bring that just that would bring some kind of discomfort to realize that hey this is bad this is actually bad yeah you got to do something else and for me it was showing up in in the food stuff oh you know I would like be I would eat well for a while and then there'd be potato chips and I'd be like oh well just you know I'll have a couple like Oh, you know, what harm could it do? Which is another kind of like brush off um, or oh, it, it could be worse. You know, I'm not eating the whole bag. Um, but it still wasn't good. It was my way of, of saying of not letting myself say, hey, this is bad or this is I don't want to use good bad this is not what is in your highest interest and you know it um so it it was a coping mechanism that little like 
think it could be worse to let me be to let me not face truths that I just didn't want to face and in doing that I was neglecting myself I was not showing up for myself in the best way that I knew how and like certainly in those moments I did not realize that I or maybe at times I did thinking back but it was just easier be like eh could be worse oh could be worse um it's not so bad I'll just you know do it do it next time I was really not serving myself I read uh an article about this about the it could be worse thing and it's really it can be a beautiful way of coping too. All coping mechanisms, actually, I want to say, are initially good good for us, I guess. They're brilliant. We're smart. We're so intelligent. We know how to go towards things that will help us feel better and feel safe. So in the instance of addiction, for example... Someone knows, someone finds something that helps ease their system, that helps them feel better, that helps them escape pain. And unfortunately, it, because it's not facing the thing that is actually causing the pain, it's just, it may be, it's only temporary, temporarily alleviating it. It's like having a thorn in your thumb and numbing it so that you don't feel it. And then when the anesthesia wears off, then you still feel it because the thorn's still there. Coping mechanisms are like that. The pain never goes away when we use the coping mechanism because it's not actually addressing the root whatever the root is. I know for um, for me in eating, I think it is sometimes just pure overwhelm and fear of making a choice. Um, I don't know. Those are things that admittedly like I'm I'm still working through. With drinking, I can identify it, and maybe that's because I've been able to let go of alcohol. I don't, I don't really need it anymore. I don't feel the need to drink to feel better in my own skin. I feel pretty darn good enough as I am. I don't feel like I need that liquid courage. I don't, I don't feel like I need to drink to numb away the feelings of the day because I'm getting better at facing my feelings. However, I think that that's what food does for me, too, is that it takes me away from some things that I want to feel. What those things are, I don't know. But of course, taking us away from the things that we don't want to feel, that's 
the essence of a coping mechanism. I apologize, my friends, if I'm sort of talking in circles. That's what these raw expressions uh, will sometimes get. Welcome to my head. But the idea, oh yeah, I was talking about that article that I read and how uh, it, it was so it was written by a chaplain at the UCLA uh, Center for Integrative Oncology. And he mentioned a patient who confided in him that she looked around and she would say to herself, well, it could be worse. And how that was kind of shitty. Like, wow, like I'm using these other people's crap situations to feel better about where I am to be grateful that I only have blah blah cancer or whatever and he pointed out that it could be worse provokes an instant sense of gratitude for whatever situation you're in no matter how shitty it is so a more benign example of that that he used is when like standing in line, maybe standing in line at the coffee shop and you get there, it's Saturday morning, you really want your coffee, but there's five people in line ahead of you and it's COVID time. So, you know, that's going to take like 20 minutes to get through or something. And it's a really boring line because nobody's talking to each other or smiling. So then suddenly there's a person behind you and you're like, oh, at least I'm not that guy. And then there's a rush and there's 10 people behind you. And you're like, wow, I'm lucky I got here when I did. It could be so much worse. And suddenly being that fifth person in line in COVID times where you're six feet apart, nobody's smiling at each other. You're like, yeah, this is good. I have used this before. Uh, we all do. And I, I use this when he, when the article mentioned the cancer. Um, I had a moment when, after being diagnosed, told I had a tumor, and it's operable. And the surgeon said it so excitedly. And I was kind of like, in my head in the office, I was like, well, of course it's operable. It's like, is the other way not an option? And then, and I didn't say that, that was just something I was thinking. I mean, there were so many things going on in my head. But then later when I started connecting in groups with people who've had this, there are a lot of people who get diagnosed and it's inoperable. And I was like, wow, it could be worse. You know, I'm glad I'm not them. I'm glad I'm so, I'm grateful that mine's operable. So it was like, wow, you have this rare cancer and you're going to face this really long surgery. But like, wow, it could be worse. It's operable. I got this. So it helped me and it was really beneficial. So all coping mechanisms have a benefit. It's when we keep using them and ignoring the underlying problem that they become detrimental like the splinter in our thumb if we just keep numbing it and ignoring it we're like ah, it's numb it'll go away that's numb it'll go away and then suddenly it's like oh shit my thumb is swollen and pussy and oh my gosh (laughs) it's 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 time to address this problem 
or maybe the coping mechanism has um, created new problems in the case of addiction. Addiction, the drinks, they work for a while, and then we need more and more of the drinks or whatever substance, and that has an effect on our bodies and on our relationships with people and on the way that we show up on the world and on our bank accounts, and all this effort has went into trying to feel better, but the freaking underlying problem is still there, and now we've got a bunch of others. So... That, I mean, for me, realizing that this little insidious, like, well, it could be worse thing had, I had learned it from the way that I grew up, which we all learn from our families of origin, how to be and how to show up in the world. And no matter how much we think that we can just run away from it or simply decide to not be like them it takes much more than that I mean I left home at I mean well when I finally left home and I moved to California at 20 I resolved that I would not be like my dad I wouldn't be like my mom I wouldn't be like any of them and I would create a new life for myself but and that's great but I still had all that programming in me, that subconscious programming that happens mostly between the time of conception till about the age of seven when we start to, um, before we have filters, when we just soak everything in and everything we see um, and really seeing, seeing how other people show up in the world is how we learn to show up in the world and how we learn to act and the things that happen to us we take on and internalize about ourselves and it shapes how we think we should be in the world. So I already had that, even though at 20, I looked at them and I was like, ugh, I don't want to be like you. And uh, I already was because I already picked up on the way that they dealt with life, which was to not, um, well, I shouldn't say to not deal with life. That's really not fair. That's not true. My parents did the best they could. We're all doing the best that we can. And sometimes the best that we can isn't good enough. Ugh, gosh, there we are. I don't want to I don't want to say good enough, but some the best we can will still have consequences. The best we can can still have consequences that we didn't intend and didn't foresee and wouldn't have wanted to pass on. But it happens because I think we're unaware of what we're doing or unconscious about what we're doing. And so it gets passed on. What got passed on to me is how to cope in the world, how I think I should be, feeling not good enough, and uh, some other things, lots of other things. But back to, well, it could be worse. That was something that I recognize was, was a coping mechanism 
of my mom's. Sorry, mom, if you're listening. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm just going to keep talking. <laughs> because this is this has helped me. And I think it'll help other people. My dad was an alcoholic and she stayed with him for a long time. I don't know the reasons because we haven't really had a a deep talk about it. I would love to. Sometimes it's hard because I feel that she goes into the defensive and perhaps I also go into the offensive by making her not feel good enough. But that is also not my intent. There's just hurt because I feel that there were so many things that as a child I knew weren't right, but continued, and I couldn't understand why. I can only guess that it was really hard for her, that she wanted things to work out so badly. She was so afraid of leaving a situation of how she would cope, of how she would provide support of if she would ever be loved again, if she would ever find someone, if, you know, she was probably afraid of being alone. And so, oh, it could be worse, was a way of dealing, of putting up with it, of staying, and of cultivating immediate gratitude, and I think even of some kind of hope, maybe, that where where she was at was okay um and that that it could be worse helps to minimize our own suffering and maybe not even see it as suffering that is something that was also spoken about in that article uh how it could be worse institutes a hierarchy of suffering And I was like, whoa, it really does. Because if you think back to that line, there's the people in front of us where it could be better. There's us where we're like, ugh, this sucks. And then when it's just us and this sucks, and then before we see other people behind us, we're like really down. And then once people are behind us, we're like, ha, suckers. (laughs) You know, maybe not that. Uh, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic, but we, we give this like hierarchy of suffering and we just do it. I remember when I did this very, very clearly, um, when Graham and I had went to house it for a friend who was away at Burning Man, uh, stayed at her place in Oakland and I was, um, kind of just getting out into the world again, uh, healing from the surgery and still like my digestion was all over the place and not sleeping well, lots of pain. And Graham got a cold on this trip. He was up in the middle of the night, blowing his nose, wasn't sleeping well. And then like, by he usually this is what happens he has like one day of sickness one night like that and by the second night 
he is ugh, so over it so over being sick and here I am after going through uh that 13 and a half hour surgery you know the month prior knowing I had this tumor going through the surgery coming out through opiate withdrawals, still not digesting things, still not able to go to the bathroom, wondering if life is ever going to be the same again, haven't gotten a good night's sleep in so long, and I just feel like I am, like, way at the back of the line, and here's this guy who's, like, right there about to order, and he's complaining, (laughs) and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) You've got a cold. You're not gonna die. And I think I said something along those lines to him. And in the moment, I felt really justified about it because I was so in my own pity party. Because I was so in my own suffering that I couldn't see that he was also suffering. And that's something about this way of this hierarchy of our neglect that robs us of recognizing that suffering is suffering so where I am at the back of the line I can like my suffering it feels really of huge magnitude and but also from where he is in the front of the line his his suffering is still his suffering and it still sucks and so it's hard to connect if there's that constant organizing of our situations and suffering in that way. It's hard to have compassion. And coming back to how that factors into these little like sayings of eh, it could be worse is that it ignores the reality like comparing his suffering to mine ignores the reality of his situation Com- saying it could be worse it could be eating a bag of chips to i could be instead i'm only eating a handful ignores the fact that there's some harm being done. It lets me brush aside that truth out of convenience. So I don't want to do that anymore. I've done that so much in my life because that's how I learned to do it. And it is not fruitful. So I I think that that's really all that I wanted to share with you. Um, And I think I say all, but I think it's kind of deep. It's kind of complex. It's so just been for me anyway, maybe you're listening. You're like, Hey, duh. Yeah. Wow. I got that. Or maybe you're having more compassion for me than I'm uh, giving myself right now maybe you remember having this realization for yourself. Maybe it's a coping mechanism that you employ, or maybe there are other coping mechanisms that, um, this, my sharing, my discovery of this one might help you 
to see. Uh, if you have any advice on uh, overcoming the uh, food stuff, I'd love to hear it. I've, I've received some great input from other people on ways that they're relearning because that's what it is. It's just relearning. It's, and it's finding the courage to look at the, like that splinter in the thumb and decide, okay, I'm going to do what I need to do to get it out. And I know it's going to get uncomfortable for a little bit. Um, and then re repatterning, repatterning, repatterning takes work. Like when these coping mechanisms have been just not a coping mechanism, but a way of life for so long, it's like the treads, the tracks in the dirt are worn deep. So starting to learn to drive a new path takes effort. Um, yeah, I would love to hear anyone else's stories about um, coping mechanisms, addictions, overcoming them, things that you... I'm especially interested, though, in things that you didn't even realize were coping mechanisms uh, and what it revealed to you, what 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 it brought you, um, how you repatterned and all that good stuff. So I'm going to return to my little staycation and uh, get outside of my little capsule <laughs> and enjoy some nature. I hope that this brought you something. It has been helpful for me to talk it out as it always is when I decide to do these. Um, and also to anyone listening who is interested, I mean, I already asked you to share some things with me, but I also want to put out the invitation to uh, um, podcast conversations. I'm really digging doing these raw conversations with people and just getting to know stories a little bit better. As always, you can find me at Unraveling Rachel on Instagram, and I share sporadically there, just as I share sporadically here, but the sharing is always promised to be authentic and real and raw. Okay, lots of love. Till next time. <laughs>